the main takeaway from Saturday's game is that progress, in fact, was made. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, welcome to the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Willis. Thank you very much for tuning in. A little bit of a hairy one, but in fact, progress was made this weekend. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But right now, I do want to thank you for making the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. So subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell for notifications, and of course, upvote the video itself. I would appreciate it very much. So we should have a lot of fun. Anyway, this game was the first game of the season that answered the question, could Jackson Dart go out and win a game if he had to? Now, it doesn't matter the level of the competition or what you think about Vanderbilt. Him putting up 448 yards passing, three touchdowns. He did have two horrible interceptions, which that has to be cleaned up. But people that just harp on that as a reason, no, he did not play well because he threw an interception. That isn't real. And that's something that has just been essentially made up for this quarterback competition. Matt Corral threw six interceptions against Arkansas, threw five against LSU. Interceptions happen. Horrible passes happen. And young quarterbacks developing will make mistakes. So him throwing for 448 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions with nearly 80% completion percentage, this is a check mark in the positive column for Jackson Dart. Ole Miss does not win this game if it wasn't for Jackson Dart. Sure, Jonathan Mingo set the um, Ole Miss record for receiving yards in a game with 247 yards receiving and two touchdowns on nine catches. John Jordan Watkins was seven for 117 in a touchdown. Big plays happened all over the place, and there were some mistakes in Vanderbilt secondary. Now, a lot of that is what we explained to you last week would happen. That is, Vanderbilt was going to find a way and just sell completely out to stop the run because they didn't know if Jackson Dart was going to be good enough to beat them. If Jackson Dart was good enough to beat them, he would. Jackson Dart was good enough to beat them. Now, you're going to have people say all over that, well, this didn't happen against Alabama. No, it didn't. They'll play Alabama for five more weeks. Doesn't have to be good enough to beat Alabama yet, but it needs to progress. And it has progressed from Troy to Central Arkansas to Tulsa to Georgia Tech or to Georgia Tech to Tulsa to Kentucky and now to Vanderbilt. There's been a solid progression for Jackson Dart. So does it look like he will be ready by the time they play Alabama? Yeah, kind of. He's developing that way. Lane Kiffing is doing a fantastic job of developing this quarterback. The run game, it's going to be there. But what Saturday has done, and and Dart being able to put up this, these numbers and these plays and all the explosiveness that happened, that means that Auburn and LSU and Texas A&M are going to have to prepare for that offense too. They can't just go in and sell completely out against the run and know they'll be all right because if they do that, they will get beat over the top. They will get beat in the passing game. 
there's athletes that can absolutely make them hurt. I think um, Jordan Watkins had a touchdown of over 60 yards. Jonathan Mingo, two over 70 yards. Deep balls were the calling card of the day. There were several. I bet the average pass for Jackson Dart was somewhere around 12 yards downfield. Because while there were some quick hitches that were thrown early in the game to get him in a rhythm, there was a lot of stuff over the top like to Jonathan Mingo at the end of the first half. Jonathan Mingo in the third quarter. Um, Jordan Watkins, it was about 20 yards downfield that they hit. They threw that little, essentially a hide route where it just came in directly behind the person that was in front of him who was going to clear out that zone. It was actually an ingenious play call. I, that was really cool. I liked seeing that. So that opened up the outside zone game, which allowed Zach Evans at the end of, in, the, in the third quarter to score a touchdown and really just kind of unlocked their whole defense. Because what Vandy wanted to do was now all of a sudden an impossibility. Their whole game plan was essentially out the window. So you saw some perimeter runs. You saw Jackson Dart eating them up through the air. Vandy was going to take away the middle of the field runs, the inside zone play. That wasn't going to work against this defense. They were going to stunt. They were going to slant. They were going to do whatever they needed to do to slow that down. That's the reason I said that Jackson Dart and the offense needed to break out. First half, they struggled. They weren't very clean to start with. Um, I think in the first drive, there was a horrible snap. There was three or four penalties. Um, a not-so-great pass. There was trouble running the ball. It just didn't look right, okay? Almost ended up with a field goal. Vandy capitalized. And defensively, again, they played murder ball. And it, I think Vandy did it because they have to. Kentucky did it because they want to as a strategic, tactical decision against Ole Miss's defense. Vandy did it because they have to. Now, Will Shepard, that kid is good. He is going to be, like, the. if you look statistically on SEC After Dark, we kind of talked about the greatest wide receiver to play SEC football. And the winner that we came up with was Jordan Matthews at Vanderbilt. They've also had Earl Bennett. They've had receivers come through there. I think they have three of the top 10 or 15 in receptions went to Vanderbilt. Really interesting stuff. Now they've got another one in Will Shepard. He's a really good player. The running back, Ray Davis, really good player, and I really like A.J. Swan. I mention all the time that people, when they see Ole Miss's defense for the first time, they have trouble with it. It gives them problems. A.J. Swan didn't. This is a true freshman. And his comfort with smaller windows is something really to monitor. He has a chance to be really, really good. If he's starting at quarterback as a true freshman, he unseated um, Mike Wright. And that's a big deal because the athlete playing quarterback, that's kind of a go-to for talent-stricken teams. But A.J. Swan still has not thrown an interception. He was really good in the pocket. I think he made one pad pass that ended up being a backwards pass, and maybe Ray Davis didn't get on the ball. But Vandy was decent. I told you last week, this is not a good team, but this is a better team than what we've seen over the last five to six years. I think they're going to get somebody this year. I, I genuinely do. I think when they play Missouri, when they play um, – well, they don't play Auburn, but, it, you know, South Carolina – Kentucky, I think they're going to get one of those guys. 
And honestly, they deserved to because they played really, really well for a half. They honestly did. They, they, they had a perfect game plan and was executing it to perfection. The problem was they gave up a long pass on a post pattern to Jonathan Mingo. They got Ole Miss down to the two-yard line. Ole Miss cut it from 20 to 10 to 20 to 17, went in with all the momentum at halftime, came out in the third quarter, and completely took the game over. After that post pattern, Ole Miss outscored Vanderbilt 42 to 8 for the game. It was a momentum killer. It was a backbreaker. It was everything you can imagine. Jackson Dart in the two-minute drill, led the team down the field, scored a touchdown. Now, is is phenomenal, phenomenal play. If Ole Miss wouldn't have scored and it would have went into halftime at 20 to 10, that could have looked different in the second half, guys. That's how close it was. It, it was teetering. But Ole Miss was able to clean it up and bounce back. Jonathan Mingo, excellent game. Jordan Watkins, excellent game. Even the running backs – even though they didn't have many carries. I think Zach Evans and Quinchon Judkins each got 11 carries for the game. They finished with 80 and 46 yards perspective. I mean, Zach Evans averaged 7.3, and Quinchon Judkins averaged 4.2. But, they, you know, Judkins got two touchdowns. Zach Evans got one. The running game was there. They just didn't need to use it. We talked about a want that I wanted in this game. And that was the run-pass ratio skewed towards passing. Although I said I want um, Ole Miss to throw the ball 35 times and run the ball 45 if it's an 80-play game. Well, it turns out they threw the ball 32 times and they ran it um, about 28. So they were fairly close to 50-50, a little bit skewed in the passing direction. But that was because of the way that they were being played. It's like Lane Kiffin always says. You never know how game is going to go exactly because you never know what they're going to try and take away and how they're going to play you. In order to beat you, what are they going to do? And Clark Lee's a heck of a coach. He's doing exactly what needs to be done at Vanderbilt. They had 31,000 people at the game. That was a good crowd for a Vandy game. Now, a lot of those were Ole Miss people, but still, if you looked over on the Vanderbilt side, it's a good crowd. Now, one thing... One thing that made me angry that whole game, every time Ole Miss had a third down, they played the Foghorn. The Foghorn went off. Now, just a little inside baseball to everybody, the opposing team's video coordinator gets put right in front of that Foghorn. So every time Vandy scores or do anything and that Foghorn goes off, it is loudest on the visiting team video crew. So... I have an issue with that foghorn. So hearing that over and over and over again, that is problematic for me because I, I genuinely just don't like it. My wife, you know, who's also in the Navy, likes the foghorn, likes Vanderbilt because they're the Commodores. All of this stuff that's nautical and Navy, Becky's in favor of. Vanderbilt did my brain surgery in 2019. I am very pro-Vanderbilt. So... Other than that foghorn in the ear, I'm fine. But Vandy played a heck of a game. Anyway, real quick, let's um, let's make this a little bit bigger, first of all. So, all right. The numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe home security to protect their home. 
You don't just earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. I know because I use Simply Safe in my own home. They protect you with cutting edge security technology pro provided by 24 7 professional monitor agents that always have your back. Here's why I love it. This is why, like, once a month after my brain surgery, I've gotten so forgetful, right? Once a month, I will go in the door and the alarm will go off and I'll get a phone call from somebody and I'll have to give them the password and they'll say, okay, you messed up again, Mr. Willis, but anyway, we'll cut off your alarm and everything. If they will do that for my forgetfulness and my silliness, that should put your mind at ease um, for intruders that could possibly come in your home. Them being on the ball is something that can't really be overstated. So customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes and Spotify. So don't forget to leave a five-star review. You can say whatever you want to say. Just make sure it's a five-star review, and then we can get it all done. So thank you very much for that. It'll be, make us very happy. All right, some other takeaways that we have from the game. The moment of the game, and this is not really something I, I I like to harp on because the game is so many individual moments. There's not generally one moment that is do or die. But in this game, there, there might have been. And that moment was the 50-yard or so post pattern to Jonathan Mingo in the first half, right before halftime. Ole Miss gets the ball with a minute left to go in the game. They're able to drive the field. They hit a big play, get down inside the five, and score a touchdown. They cut the game from 20 to 10 to 20 to 17. They went into halftime with all sorts of momentum. That was the first touchdown in a 42 to 8 run for Ole Miss football. It was the play that turned everything around. And it was also the play, probably, that gave Jonathan Mingo some kind of ultimate confidence that for one day, he's going to channel A.J. Brown because that's who he looked like out on the field. He looked like A.J. Brown. He looked like just an absolute beast. He's 225 pounds. He's six foot two. He can run like a deer. It's almost like he's toying with defenders when he gets in the open field. So I think more hitches need to be used for Jonathan Mingo. And I talked on the postgame show I think Ole Miss should think about using him at slot some. I think Jordan Watkins is versatile enough that within the same personnel, they can move him out wide outside outside if they need to do it. But they need to move Jonathan Mingo around, I believe, because whenever he runs, it, it looks easy. It looks effortless. It looks almost like Jonathan Mingo is almost toying with players. And I'm not saying that Jonathan Mingo is – you know, disrespecting them or anything like that. It just kind of really looks like a high school kid that is scrimmaging around with the seventh grade team that day. He can do whatever he wants to in the open field. He can. He's super quick. He's faster than everybody out there. And he's just able to make plays. And Jonathan Mingo has a chance to be 
unbelievably special this season if they use them. Now, the offense being opened up like we talked in the first segment is a big first step, and it really looked explosive Saturday. Now, part of that could be the fact that Vanderbilt, like I said, was all out in position to try and stop the run because if they tried to play as straightforward both ways, there's not really a way they could win. So they wanted to take away one or the other. They chose the run game, and specifically the inside run game. And because of that, Ole Miss was able to bust out some perimeter runs, gash them in the past game because there weren't necessarily as many bodies as it needed to be. There was a couple of times in that game when Vandy sent more people than we can block, did not get home, and left an open receiver. I think Jordan Watkins' touchdown was an example of that. It was a, it was an absolute bust. Somebody was supposed to be in that zone. Watkins just saw the middle of the field part open. Jackson Dart hit him in the follow route, and up the middle of the field, nobody is catching that guy. Also, another takeaway in the game is about Jordan Watkins. I think at this point, it we should consider Jordan Watkins the starter at slot. Jalen Robinson, haven't seen him yet, but he's made plays from time to time. He's done whatever he needs to do. He has trouble staying healthy. But Jordan Watkins has not only been out there, but he's starting to make plays. And I think that is important to realize whenever um, Ole Miss is looking at things. There's rumors about Michael Trigg. Potentially, I've heard broken collarbone. I've heard sprained shoulder. Nothing has come out necessarily about him, and nothing will. So be careful with what you hear on the injury front about Michael Trigg or anybody else because this staff does not talk about injuries, which means people that are reporting it are getting it from second- and third-hand information. It's not usually a primary source. Now, some people might know Michael Trigg's dad. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But there's going to be people that post things on Twitter that basically know somebody on the training staff or something like that that's going to start the rumor. So be careful because there's not really a way to confirm that. Um, But Michael Trigg made a great catch, hurt his shoulder on that play. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Defense, real quick before um, I get out of here. The defense... That first half was rough, and a lot of that was reading your press clippings from early in the week because we all talked about how good the defense was and how well they played and everything that has gone over the last week. Well, Saturday, Vanderbilt had an excellent game plan for what Ole Miss was doing, and part of that was the murder ball. AJ Swan played fantastic. They were okay with five- or six-yard completions. They were okay driving the field. I mean, it was a conscious decision tactically from the Vanderbilt Commodores to get this done. And because of that, Ole Miss stayed on the field pretty constantly. Good thing Ole Miss had a ton of death. I think Vandy had 40 minutes of time of possession. Ole Miss scored 52 points on 18 or 19 minutes. And time of possession is the most overrated stat in football. But once the other team gets into the 40s, it gets a little bit problematic unless you have super depth. It's one of those things to where I think Auburn's going to try to do it again. You're going to see Tank um, Bigsby 
and Jarquez Hunter get the ball 40 times between the two of them Saturday in Vaughn Hemingway Stadium. I think Robbie Ashford goes. They have trouble with their offensive line. All these things, everybody's well-known and is well-versed about Auburn at this point. But Vandy and Kentucky and everything, it's a trend. And the reason it's a trend is you can't really go straight up against this team. You can't. You have to slow it down. You don't want the offense to have tons of time. Boy, you think that the offense was going to be slower than last year, but there were three one-play drives in this football game. There's a lot of stuff that went down in this game. A lot of things for people to be happy about. We finally opened up the offense. You got to see what an opened-up offense with Jackson Dart looked like, and it looked phenomenally well. I mean, it is everything that you wanted. Now, it's Vanderbilt, bottom five team in the SEC. That's fine. We'll see how they do against Auburn, who has a little bit better defense, probably a little bit worse offense. And they have some definite line problems. And potentially, I saw Derek Hall get hurt in the Georgia game, so we'll have to see what he does. But it's a game that if Ole Miss goes out and handle business, should win pretty handily, honestly. But real quick, let's talk about bet online. Bet online is your number one source for your football betting info this season. It's all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all of your sport wagering information with the live betting, up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, and MLS. Head to BetOnline.net and use your mobile device to learn more. It's BetOnline where the game starts. Right now, we're waiting on an over-under for the Ole Miss-Auburn game. And um, we'll see how that looks as well. But it should be pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Anyway, thank you for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. So do us a favor. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell for notifications. And, of course, upvote the video itself and comment as well to participate in the conversation. It's pretty cool. Make us very happy. So glad you are here. Anyway, lines this week. Only six games really to think of um, what's going on. I think it's five the next couple of weeks. But here you go, Auburn and Ole Miss. It's coming in on other books at minus 16. This line is not on the bet online board at the moment, but there's other lines that have that in there. There's, we're waiting on that line and the over-under for Auburn at Ole Miss. But I wanted to put this up because we obviously always do this segment, but Auburn is a 16-point dog at Ole Miss, and it's legit. It's not a game that Auburn probably even has a chance to win unless they play stupid well and Ole Miss plays really unclean. Think first half of the Vanderbilt game unclean. Now, Every bit of my opinion on Auburn comes from the 2014 game when Laquan Treadwell broke his ankle going in for a touchdown. Auburn celebrated like crazy. The newspaper did the finding away thing. 
every bit of my opinion on this game um, is clouded by that. So see through that if you can this week because I am probably going to bring it up a couple more times. But a 16-point favorite, it's a game. This is a game that I also expect Ole Miss to cover on because I think they could be just a little bit too explosive. Vanderbilt, we just saw, is at Georgia. Georgia is a 38-point favorite. Honestly, in this game, this feels like a 31 to 7 to me. And you just look at it, 38 to 7. I, I don't know that Georgia is going to be able to cover a 38 point line against the Vandy team. Again, a lot of stuff happens with these Vandy teams is because everybody just assumes it's the same old Vandy team. It's not. I told you this all last week. They're a little bit better, um, they're a little bit more organized, and you have to go out and beat them. It's not something where they um, beat themselves. Now, Pass coverage could be a problem for the Vanderbilt Commodores, but I don't know how I feel about that 38-point line um, in Georgia. Alabama is favored by just seven points at Tennessee. We have to find out about Bryce Young. If Bryce Young doesn't play, I think Tennessee can win this game. They can cover that line. They can do all that. If Bryce Young plays, I think Bama wins by 20 points. There's such a big swing that can happen one way or another with these teams. Um, We'll have to kind of pay close attention to what's going on. Arkansas is at BYU. BYU is a two-point favorite. Um, this is a game that's probably about the right place. We have, Again, we have to see about K.J. Jefferson and see what goes on. But it's in Provo. Arkansas has to travel. BYU is a decently good team. Should be interesting to see exactly how they set up. Now, I think um, Arkansas could have an advantage on the lines, but we'll have to see exactly what this looks like with the Cougars favored by two. LSU is at Florida. Florida's a three-point favorite. That's basically the home field advantage line, and that's about right because you have two mirror images of teams playing in this game. You have Jaden Daniels and LSU going up against Anthony Richardson and Florida, and offensively, they look really similar. Defensively, whoever makes the most hay on that side of the ball is probably going to win the game, period. Um, I think Florida might take it, but we'll see exactly how this looks. Now, the last game of the day is Mississippi State. They're a six-point favorite on the road at Kentucky. Again, it's like a broken record. You have to find out about the quarterback. Will Levis, is he going to play? Mississippi State has been fairly elite early in the season. They had one misstep in the fourth quarter against LSU. That's preventing them from being undefeated at the moment. They're a good little team. Kentucky's a good little team as well, but they're going through some things right now. After Ole Miss, they didn't have Will Levis. They looked completely disheveled against South Carolina. So now they have a two-game losing streak, which they're going to fight to keep from a three-game losing streak from happening. Because here's the reality of this. For Arkansas, for Texas A&M, for Kentucky, for people like that, the Citrus Bowl, the former Outback Bowl, those Florida Bowls that is somewhat prestigious, those are almost out the window for them already. You're talking about Kentucky now in play for the Music City Bowl or the um, Duke's Mayo Bowl or you know, you know LSU if they lose another game, Las Vegas Bowl becomes something, Texas Bowl. It, This early in the season, dropping down to there, whenever the Sugar Bowl and the playoff was their goal coming into this season, is probably a tough pill to swallow for these teams. So, I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect 
them to roll over. I expect extreme effort because you're in that time of the season where if you don't want to end up in Memphis in December or if you want to end up in Memphis in December and, you know, Arkansas is staring firmly at five and seven, I think, um, you're going to come out and play really, really hard because if Arkansas loses to BYU, which they're underdogs in that game, they're a loss to Auburn, Liberty, or Missouri. If they lose one of those three games from five and seven, and no bowl for that team. So it's a kind of big deal for the Arkansas Razorbacks. It's a kind of big deal for the Kentucky Wildcats. It's a kind of big deal for the Texas A&M Aggies, which they're going to have to deal with this um, starting next week. So something to monitor, essentially. Anyway, this has been our three takeaways episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Tune in tomorrow where we get into Auburn and start talking about the Tigers in earnest. We'll have an update on the lines. Get that taken care of as well. Anyway, get more on the SEC by making Locked On SEC your second listen. Everyday host Chris Gordy and his local experts of Locked On take you across the SEC in 30 minutes. Make Locked On SEC your second listen. Locked On SEC. Anyway, we'll see you tomorrow.